Okay, today's daf is daf Lamed Bet, and we start with a new parak, Elu Ne'amarim. I should just say about the previous parak we just did, uh, two uh, points going back. Um, one is that the Mishnah, if you remember, spoke about the position of um, of Rabbi Eliezer, that even from a flying bird, uh, the man would divorce his wife and give a ksuva, and Rabbi Yeshua said, um, no, it had to be the people knitting in the sun, in the, lo- in the moon. Raji tried to explain the whole thing having to do with the earlier debate about uh, what you need for testimony about stira, about going into private, but uh, that was a very hard read from the Mishnah, if you remember, and Tosos explains that actually they're having a completely different debate, just about there's no kinoi in stira, there's just rumors and they're really all talking about what type of rumors are enough that we would advise the husband to divorce his wife, but because there's no basis, he still has to give a ksuva. Much easier read of the Mishnah. The other point is that if you remember, there's a discussion about when two witnesses, one said she became Tamei and one said she didn't, came at the same time as opposed to coming one after the other. And Raji explained the same time to be in Toch Kedei Dibur. And uh, so uh, I alluded to the fact that that was only Raji's explanation. Tosa says that actually only after the first testimony is accepted by Basin and ruled on, then a second one that said she did not become Tame would not have any weight. But if before there was any ruling, they were both in front of the based in, that's when they would actually neutralize one another. So just two final points about what we learned yesterday. Now we start a complete new parak, and uh, while it starts with a point about Sota, this actually is a uh, very important and broad parak um, about uh, the t- about reciting texts, um, halachic reciting of texts, and whether they have to be in Hebrew or in another language. So let's take a look. The following can be said in any language. Parshat Sota, so the Parsha of the Sota, which is interesting, even though he writes it in Hebrew and scrapes it into the water, but the actual recitation um, of saying to her, you know, if, if a man did not sleep with you, if a man did sleep with you, and she says, Amen, Amen, that can all be in translation. Vidui Maser, if at the end of three years, a person has to say, I have destroyed, gotten rid of all the backed up miser in my house, and the Torah gives a text for that. Um, so here are two cases where the Torah actually is providing a form Formal text, um, and the, the tremendous chiddush is that you don't have to say it exactly in the text the Torah provides. You have to say in a translation, but not in Hebrew. Kriyat Shema, saying Shema, Vitfila and davening, meaning Shimon Esrei, Ubir Hamazon, Ubir Hamazon, benching, Lishvus Haedus Rishus Hapikadon. If somebody makes somebody testify, takes an oath, I, 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 I swear, you know, I impose upon you an oath that you did not that uh, you should come and testify for me. Um, if you saw, and the person says, I take the oath, I didn't see anything, and he's lying, he did see something that could help this person in court, then that person would have to bring a korban for taking this false shvus ha'edus. Shvus ha'pikadon, if somebody says, give me back the object I uh, lent you, or you were watching for me, and he denies it, and the original owner, and the owner forces him to take an oath, and he takes an oath, and he is lying, and then he admits it, then he also has to bring a special korban. Both of those can be in any language. Um, and we'll see, it's interesting, because... Um, some of these, like uh, tefillah, even if you think that tefillah is a biblical and birkat hamazon, and these um, and these, um, uh, the uh, the oaths, there's no text given in the Torah. So why would I have actually have thought they would have to be in Hebrew? And the fact, um, maybe I wouldn't have. Maybe that's just what the mission is teaching. But it is worth thinking about the fact that is the chiddush that it can be in any language that you don't have to do the prescri- the, the text. You know, if was, the text was given in Hebrew, that is the text exactly as it was given, or maybe even if there was no text, it just says you thank God, you bless God for the food, maybe there's a power of always using the Hebrew language, even when there's no sp- 
specified text. But here it's telling you it doesn't apply at least to these cases. They can be in any language. Um, now, it's worth pausing and mentioning also... Um, oh, let's just finish this. Okay. Um, yes. Okay, fine. So it's worth pausing and noting that tosis, two tosas seem here very important. One says, So... Take a look. says, If you're not going to say it in Hebrew, you have to say it in a language you understand. Um, interesting, the word shomei here means understand. You can't say it in a foreign language if you don't understand it. You can say it in Hebrew if you don't understand it, which is also interesting. When do we say the texts require a degree of kavana to be yotze? If you said all the right words in Hebrew but didn't have any idea, maybe I need a general idea that's interesting to explore by every individual area of halacha. But Tosin says, anyway, clearly in translation, it will only work if you understand it. But then he concedes, you know, really... But he says, but you know, if we're being honest, any language sounds like maybe you don't even have to understand it at all. Um, but there's Gemara, and we'll see the Gemara by Shema seems to say that no, part it's about understanding. But he raises this question about can you say a text that's not in the original Hebrew in a different language and you don't even understand it? Maybe that's good for certain things. You know, one thinks, for example, davening, you have to know what you're saying, or you know, it doesn't count as davening, just the rec- reciting of a text. Um, Okay, and then should we look at the next toast, toast, toast there's a whole list of other things that we need to know whether you can say them in translation or not. Am I here, Hallel, how about saying Hallel, Vikidush, Shoshabis, or Birchas Aperos, and making brachas before eating food, or Birchas Mitzvah, and making a bracha before mitzvah, and all of these can be said in other languages, so why not list them? Maybe it's limiting itself to the right issues. So it says you can't say that. Because first of all, there's questions. Tefillah is most likely Durabanan. Kriyach is most Durabanan. You know, Kiddush is a Doraita. Okay. So then Tosa says at the end, he says like this. Vinira, three lines from the bottom. The honey nemar in Bukholashan, a filu enoshomea. Okay, so he says that Tosas now go, going back to his question about um, whether you have to be able to um, to understand it or not understand it. You know, Tosas here says that uh, that the um, ones that he's discussing here, Birchus Aperas, Birchus Mitzvos, etc., that they can be said even if you don't understand. The Mishnah, you can say in translation, if you do understand. These you can say in a different language, even if you don't understand. All this is very confusing. Why should there be a split this way? And why should things like a bracha be something that you can say without understanding? But anyway, the point, the, the key is to see that Tosus is recognizing there are other things that are on the list of translation. And the ongoing question of if they're in a translation, do you ha- is it limited to cases when you understand what you're saying? Now, back to the Mishnah, okay? Um, the, the following must be in Hebrew. Mikra Bikurim, the recitation of Bikurim, Aramio Veiravi, when the person brings the Bikurim, which is interesting, you know, because it's the basis of the Haggadah, and the Haggadah certainly is about understanding and discussing, and, you know, there's no limit, it doesn't have to be in Hebrew, the Haggadah, but the actual Mikra Bikurim on which it's based, which is also about giving praise to God, maybe we would allow a person to use his own language, or at least his own, um, you know, maybe translation, but they have to be the same words, but at least in translation. No, that has to be exactly the way it is, the, w- the way it is written. The chalitza, the taking off, you know, of the shoe and the spitting, where the woman says, you know, this is what should be done to the man, that has to be in Hebrew. Um, 
Um, now, I should mention that just because it has to be, that this is how the recitation has to do, be done, it doesn't necessarily mean that it would be invalid in the chalitza if you wouldn't do it. Separate question. The blessings and the curses on Har Grizim and Har Eval. Now, that's really not an ongoing halacha. That's about at the time they did it, they had to do it in Hebrew. And the reason actually it's mentioned, as we'll see in a minute in the Mishnah, is because that serves as the basis for learning these other things have to be in Hebrew. So even that's really just a historical event and not a halacha, or was a one-time halacha, nevertheless it's being mentioned. Birchus Kohanim, the bracha the Kohanim give to the people, you know, Yivrecha Hashem V'yishmerecha. Birchus Kohen Gadol, the bracha that the Kohen Gadol makes on Yom Kippur when he reads from the Sefer Torah, which is interesting, certainly not a deal, Raisa. Uparshas HaMelech, when the, the parsha of the king, you know, the and Parsha Samelech, the Parsha that the king has to do. Um, sorry, I think we, they might have stopped recording, so let's just go back quickly. Okay. Um, so, here, uh, the reading from Bikurim, when you bring Bikurim, the Chalitza, the Chalitza, the, the woman says, and the shoe and the spitting. Brachas uh, Vikhlalos, the Brachas and Klalos on Har Grizim and Har Eval, those have to be um, in uh, Hebrew. Now, that's not a halacha ongoing, that was a one time thing, but the reason it was mentioned is because that's going to be the basis for these other things. Brachas Kohanim, the Brachas that the Kohanim make, and the base of Mikdash, we do it also in the show. Um, on the regal, or Sephardim all the time. Ubirchas Kohen Gadol, the bracha the Kohen Gadol makes on Yom Kippur when he reads from the Sefer Torah. That certainly is not a Doraita. Interesting that that's included. Uparshas HaMelech, the parsha of the king when he reads Hakel from the Sefer Torah. Uparshas Egla Rufa, you know, the, by the case by the Egla Rufa, when, they, when, the, uh, when, when the elders go out, you know, and they say, Yadenu lo shafchu es hadam hazel, our hands not spill this blood. Umashuach b'chama b'shashem am. And the anointed, the Kohen anointed for the war, when he speaks to the people and says, if somebody's fearful, he bought a ha- you know, just built a house, just married a wife. Life, um, and so on, which is really shocking because if, uh, if there's any a time when you think that you have to actually make sure that people are understanding what you're saying, and it's not really a ritual, it's more about informing people, it would be that case of the uh, of the Mashiach Nechama, and nevertheless, that has to be in Hebrew. So it's going to be interesting where we learn about some, that some can be in translation or any language, and some can be in Hebrew. So now it says like this, um, okay, Mikubikurim Kesad. How do we know we're sort of like skipping all the ones that can be in any language? From the Mishnah, it sounds like we're just going to assume things can be in translation unless we know otherwise. So how about the ones that have to be in Hebrew? How do you know that Mikubikurim has to be in Hebrew? Kesad. So by Bikurim it says you shall that you shall respond and say before God, and by the uh, by the brachos and klalos on Har Grizim and Har Eval it says the Leviim shall respond and say. So again, Vanita Vamarta Vanu Vamru. It's the combination of those verbs. The same way we know that the brachos and klalos on Har Grizim Har Eval were in Hebrew, were in Hebrew. So you see, this is why the Mishnah mentioned Har Grizim and Har Eval. He's going to elaborate on it because that really serves as the basis for these other things. Chalitza Ketzad, how about the case of the Chalitza, of the shoe and the spitting, with the brother-in-law, the Ansa Amra, again, Ansa Amra, the Anu Amru. That combination to respond and say somehow is understood to be it has to be exactly in that language. The same way by the Levim and the, the two mountains when they crossed the, the, the Jordan was and the blessings and the curses was in Hebrew. Rebuta says you don't need here, you don't need maybe in other cases you do, but here you don't need the Ansan Amran, the connection to the Brachas and Klalos. By Chalitza says, Kacha this is what should be done to the man. But it also you can read it by she must say thusly. It has to be exactly thus. 
Okay, now we get to, so that's the cases, at least the first set of them. Um, you know, we, and now we have, now let's take a look at the uh, Brachs and Klolos. That was mentioned third, but this is the basis for the two that preceded them. Okay, so Brachas of Klalos Yardain. So once they crossed the Jordan, now it's just going to tell you, this is not just here to tell you how we know it was in Hebrew. This is now going to describe to you the whole sort of history of this. Once they passed over the Jordan, they came to which is in the Shomron, which is alongside Shem, which is very interesting. It's giving you all these geographic markers, but the Torah gave you all those geographic markers. Behold, they are on the other side of the Jordan. Um, so by and Avram passed, passed until the place of Shechem until Elon More. So the Elon More of Hargrizim and Harviv Avu, where the Torah gave us a marker, so it was in Shechem. So that's how we know the, what, the fact that Mishra said Shechem, and Shechem we know was in Shomron. Okay, so that's the first part. Now, that that is, um, and that is by Elone Mora. Okay, um, um, Okay, so now now we're going to describe how it took place. Um, uh, six went to the top of Hargrizim, six went to the top of Haraval. Right, those on Hargrizim are for the bracha, those on Haraval are for the klala. Um, actually, up until today, it has always been the case that the Hargrizim has vegetation all over the mountain. They're like right next to one another, and Haraval is completely desolate, which is probably exactly why the Torah chose symbolically Hargrizim for the bracha and Haraval for the klala. So six tribes went up on each one. And the Kohanim and the Levim and the Aron were down in the middle between the two mountains. So the Kohanim would surround the Aron, the inner like protective circle. Um, the Levim and the Kohanim and the Levim would surround the Kohanim. So that would be, you know, you sort of understand, like these concentric circles or squares. And all the rest of the uh, Israelite people were on both sides, six, six on each mountain. Now, there's both the Torah tells you to do it, which is in Dvarim, and then it tells you how they did it in Yoshua. So we're going to quote Pesukim from both. So here's a Pesukim from Yoshua. And all of Israel and their elders and their, and, and their officers, Veshoftav and the judges, were on both sides of the Aron on the opposite mountain. Now the mission continues. So the uh, the Torah, interestingly, when it speaks about the klalos brachos, and it says klalos and brachos, but it only gives the text of the klalos. You know, arura ish, cursed be the man who makes a graven image, etc., etc. So you know, so here it says But so what's the bracha? So the bracha we assume is the reverse. Blessed is the man who doesn't do this, and we're going to assume you know that the brachos are going to come first. Blessed is the man who does not make an engraving image. Now, it's, it's interesting. Even though you had, they were facing Hargrizim and saying the bracha, you know, it's not like, like only half of the people 
um, you know, uh, um, endorse, you know, and affirm, the, you know, this statement. Everybody says amen. So even though it's sort of like, you know, there's sort of the two mountains are to suggest like, you know, you have two choices before, you know, Chaim and Tov. You have, the, you have, you know, the choice of good and the choice of evil. This, you know, this is good and that's evil, but the amen, which is the affirmation of the people, is coming from both of the mountains. Okay. Um, and they opened with a klala. So then they say the curse, and everybody says amen. So then they do bracha, klala, bracha, klala, bracha, klala. They don't do all the brachas and all the klala. They alternate, which makes, of course, a lot of sense. You have this choice. You can be aurur or you can be baruch. Okay. Then they brought the stones. So if there's actually a little, you know, uh, um, complicated here trying to figure out the relationship because the Torah says that you should take stones and erect these stones and, you know, cover them with plaster and write all the words of the Torah and you shall build an altar and you should offer sacrifices on it. Um, but uh, were those stones connected to the altar, not connected to the altar? And the Torah sounds like they weren't connected. But let's see what the Mishnah says. Um, so it seems like it's understanding that the stones were the same stones used for the altar. They took these stones, they built the altar of a Sadub seed, and they plastered it over. The Kisra Lavas called Divya Torah Bashivim Lashon. And they, uh, so now if you look at, uh, uh, um, and, and they wrote all the Torah in 70 languages, which is very interesting considering this Mishnah, right? To some degree, this is an aside because they're telling you what happened around the Brachos and the Klalos, but, you know, could have stopped. They didn't have to tell you about the altar and the stones. And when they, and it says, you write the Torah, Lashon Shenemer, Be'er Hetev. You should write the words of these Torah very clear, ex- explicated well. So, right alongside the Brachos and Klalos, which have to be in Hebrew, and Lashon Kodesh, and have to, uh, the basis for other things in Lashon Kodesh is the idea that the Torah was written right at the very beginning with 70 translations it should be accessible to all, which suggests more latitude in saying things in translation, and we'll see about that in the Gemara, you know, the concept of whether the Torah was given in other languages. We'll see what that means. Okay, so then they, apparently, so it sounds strange, like, you know, you had this Mizbeach built with the Torah written all around the, the stones of the Mizbeach and the sacrifices offered up, the real coming together of this avoda and Torah, which is quite fascinating. And then they uh, dismantled, you know, the, the Mizbeach, they took the stones, um, and they went and they, and, they, and they slept in their place. And if you look at Rashi, says that was in Gilgal, and there they erected the stones, which also gets a little confusing because uh, if you look in Yehoshua, they took 12 stones from the feet of the Kwanim, and it seems to be a completely different thing to remember the idea of the crossing of the uh, Jordan. Um, and uh, that was erected in Gilgal in the first place where they slept. So there seems to be somewhat of a conflation of these things. Okay, so anyway, that now you're asking yourself, what about all the other cases in the Mishnah that have to be in Hebrew? We only did the first three. So that's coming up, that's in later Mishnayot. Okay, but the Mishnah does not bother to justify the things that could be in other languages. And it could very well be because of this thing we just said, that the Torah was written in all these languages right when they crossed the Jardin. So if you want something to be only in Hebrew, you know, then you need a Pusuk to tell you it has to be only in Hebrew. But the Gemara is going to um, show how we can, the basis for saying that these things can be, um, um, can be in other language, that
that the Pasuk is going to sort of indicate that they can be in other languages. Parshat Sot Minalan. How do you know Sot can be in other languages? The Kohen shall say to the woman. So because it says La Isha, now Razi says he quotes a different Pasuk. Vamar El Ha'isha. So to the woman, you know, which somehow means like somehow that she should understand it. Now any language he says, but really it would mean any language that she understands. It goes back to, you know, for Razi. El Ha'isha Right, the whole sense is to warn her and to tell her the consequences. Remember the Gemara just yesterday spoke about, or a few days ago, whatever, spoke about all the different ways in which, you know, different ways it's being recited to inform what the water is going to do, what the consequences are, and so on. You want her to understand this. Okay. We taught. Um... Uh, and that's again tells us this point that you have to understand. You you can you inform her in any language that she understands. You know, for what is she drinking? Um, and in what is she drinking? Um, uh, for what is she become tame and with what she has become tame? Now, what does all this mean? So let's take a look. Uh, why is she drinking? Why is this all happening? It's happening because, you know, that's sort of like the formal halachic criteria. You were warned and you were, and there was stira, and this sort of is why now, under these circumstances, that's when this process takes place. What is she drinking with? In a type of a pottery, you know, uh, uh, like a, a, a vessel. Um, the water is in there, you know, because that's sort of like the meaning. So it's a little like mixed. Like, why are those two, Alma and Bama, what is drinking in this type of pottery connected conceptually to the idea of like the Shalachic criteria? Anyway, but those are, so you explain, like, this is symbolic of like the bad acts that, you know, you did or you were suspected of doing. Alma nitmeis. And what did she become Tame? Al Iskis Chokvialdus. Because, you know, what would have led to becoming Tame? What were the things that would have brought this about? Now we're not talking about halachic criteria. You're sort of giving her like um, you know, Musr, you know, this comes from being too frivolous and so on and easily seduced. Now we're sort of back to um to halachic, Bashogego Bemezi, but onus Now it's important to know the circumstances. Were you Forced? Was it rape? Were you like uh, somehow you thought that this was your husband and it wasn't your husband? Some uh, some type of a thing like that. So it's interesting. Two of these are sort of more about musr and lessons, and two are about halachic criteria. Now, why do we sort of spell all this out? Now, um, now it's not all of this, but um, but you know, but at least this, uh, but at least some of it. The last part, Rati says in particular, that she shouldn't say, "Oh, look, I had sex uh, with another man, and it didn't do anything." So the whole thing is a farce. So it says, "No, we want to make it clear to her that you know there are some cases like Shogeg and Onus where um, where you where it will, you know where because you weren't amazing, willful, and intentional that it's not going to test you, so you should not uh, question the efficacy of them." Vidui Maaser, the recitation of Maaser. Minolan, how do you know that can mean other languages? Dixiv, okay, I have destroyed the, the whole, meaning gotten rid of it, distributed the, 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 the Maaser from my house. Okay, and it's by Sota, Vamar Hakohen, El Haisha, Rashi says. Anyway, if you're Vyamarta, so anytime it says Amar, Amar is seen as where, but generic, you communicate this idea. 
Okay, maybe dibor, maybe v'anu v'yamru, using two verbs, is a specific text. But v'amarta is, get this idea across, so therefore it doesn't have to be exactly this text. Okay, it does raise an interesting question, right, about all of these, especially if you think about how the Gemara before just sort of, exp- you know, gave, save all these things that the coin were saying that are not in the psukim. The psukim have just say, you know, a very clear text. What is, is it, does it have to be a translation or can it be like the gist of this? Like Kriyat Shema, it has to be a translation, right? But something like this, if you say the gist, but you don't say a translation, does that also work? Not clear. Okay. Uh, by um by the Levium. Tiny Omer um Adam um Omer Omer Adam Rebshimakai Omer. Adam Omer Shwacho Bakol Namuch a person says his, you know, goes around and, uh, pra- you know, uh, 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 praises himself. If you, you should not say your, uh, you know, speak about your own praises. Um, and if you're going to speak about them, it should be in an undertone. Don't go around telling everybody how wonderful you are. But if you want to tell people your faults, that you feel free to publicize that. Now, that's a little funny. So let's see what the Gemara does with that. Your praise in a low voice. From Vidui Maser, because by Vidui Maser, um, Vidui Maser is really you're praising yourself. I did this right, I did this right, I did this right. You're going on an announcing, look at all these things I did right. So, but that, you don't make a big announcement. You say it. It doesn't say V'anu V'amru. It sounds like announce. Oh, so another point, not exactly the Lashon HaKodesh point. But the single, just say it. Okay, you have to say it, you say it. Don't go ahead, make a big announcement. Okay, that's how you know that. Ram, but if you're going to talk about things you did wrong, that you can go ahead and announce. Mimikra Bikurim. From Mikra Bikurim. Now, Mikra Bikurim is not, how's that Gnusta? Because Armi Ovei because you start by, you know, you start, you know, that's like the, the what we learned by, by, by Pesach. It says, Matcho Bignus, it's the same word of Gnus, you know, that, uh, that we that um, that you know Lavan, if it's about Lavan, that Lavan wanted to, uh, to was a Russia and he's related and wanted to, to, to kill us and it's you know telling bad things, not bad things that you did something wrong, but things that are like a little bit like not a not, not a happy part of your story. Okay, so now why still why should you go ahead and say and say those things loudly? So the Gemara says, um, where are we? Gnusa um, Ram. So that's now first of all, um, is that really true that you're supposed to go ahead and you know, go ahead and making announcements of things that are like, um, uh, uh, um, you know, don't reflect well on you or um, uh, uh, embarrassing things. Why is Shimon Esrei in an undertone? Now, yes, we learned it from Chana, but nevertheless, you know, it's like, um, you, um, you know, if you look at Rashi, so Chana, we see that it was an undertone, but okay, why did Chazal choose to follow this? 
this model. In order not to embarrass people that did sins, because now, because you, you, maybe in your davening to Hashem, you want to talk about what you've done wrong, and you really want to have an honest conversation with God. And if you have to say it out loud, you'll be afraid, and this makes it very intimate and private, and you can be honest with your faults and with your and with your and with your sins. So, because you are saying it quietly. So, and and we see this because looking at a different place of avoda, the korbanos, that when you would bring a chatas and an ola, they would both be slaughtered in the north. So nobody would know. You know, you'd give your sheep to a kohen, and somebody else would give you know their sheep to a kohen, and presumably, I don't know, maybe they look different. People could tell whose was whose. You know, and 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 if they were in different places, somebody would say, "Oh, yours is being shechted in the chatas place. You did a sin." But since they're both being shechted to the north of the altar, nobody knows whether yours is a chatas or an ola. So we, if you want to be talk about your sins to God, it's between you and God. It's nobody else's business. So here the Gemara particularly focuses on a sense of like sin, right? So lo temegnuso elem tsara, right? And that was part of the problem about the whole thing of Armi Ovi Like it wasn't sinful, right? It might not have been the most illustrious time of our history, okay? So the Gemara says, okay, you're right. I don't, we don't really mean that. We merely mean you're like, you're, you, you, when you're, you're distressed, your pain, that you should tell people about. Kiritanya vitame tamegikra. That the um, that the Mitzora um, is sent out of camp, and he has to say, "I'm Tame, I'm Tame." He has to tell people that he's in pain and people could pray for him. And this is really very important, you know, because people don't, you know, a lot of people are suffering and they're afraid to bother anybody with their suffering, to say anything to anybody, to, to say that they're in pain. I don't want to trouble the person, you know, they, they, it'll make them look weak, they have to put on a good front. And it's actually a very powerful pastoral, you know, point, psychological point about how people should let people know when they're suffering so people can actually help them. So, um, um, to some degree that that's Armi Ovedavi, we had like less than illustrious startings. I don't know exa- exactly how that's exactly the same, but you know, some people like maybe feel, so- feel, feel uh, you know, want to help you if there's thing, something like that is a bad story about you. It's a little bizarre, again, the parallel, because it ends, the story ends good. You're right now not in pain. But anyway, okay. Um, okay, so that is true. Um, in any time when something happens that you have, you should tell people and people will come and they'll pray for you or they'll come to your aid. Why is tefillah in an undertone? For people who did sins. Now, also, what's interesting about this is it just makes it, it just assumes that people will be, uh, you know, um, adding their own words into Shimon Esrei and not just saying the words of the Shimon Esrei itself. You're allowed to add words, but nobody does it, you know, nowadays, even though people should. But it's all become this ritual text that we recite. And here it's very powerful, you know, prayers, and we're actually saying that it was structured in this way to be in an undertone to encourage people or to make it possible for people to have their conversations to God in this Shemona Esrei. Okay, no difference between where the Chathas and are both in the north. The love, Ha'ikadamim, what do you mean? But the blood is in a different place, so you could see that way, you know, whether who, whether the blood goes up, you know, up on the top, which is a chatas, or on the bottom, which is an ola. Dam chatas lamala, the dam of chatas is put on the horns at the top. The dam ola lamata, and the blood of an ola is thrown on the walls of the mizbeach. So the Gemara gives the obvious answer. Hasam koin hu diyada. So fine, I mean, the Kohen knows, oh, this is Ruvain's, uh, from Ruvain's sheep, and this is a chatas blood, and I'll take it to the top of the mizbeach, and this is Shimon's blood, and I'll take it to the bottom. But the 
observers don't know. Everybody else who's there bringing their korbanot don't know who's who. All they see is blood. But when you th- they see you give your animals to the kohanim, they might be able... I mean, it's a little bizarre until it actually says, like, since when do we assume people are sort of paying attention and can recognize, you know, whose animal or whatever. But anyway, um, but that at least is something that they'll say, oh, wasn't that that animal you just gave, that black one with the spots or whatever? And then they'll see where it's being brought. Okay, so now the Gemara says like this. Uh, okay, okay. Uh, the Gemara says one minute. A chatas has to be a female sheep or goat, and a ola has to be male. And therefore, you can, you'll see, so somebody will say, did you give a Kohen a female or a male? So this also says, like, are people really paying attention to that? But presumably, yes, okay? Um, especially if you're waiting around for your turn and maybe you have nothing better to do. Uh, anyway, um, okay, no, no, no. You won't be able to see the genitals because sheep have this fat tail, so people won't be able to tell which is a male or female sheep. It's interesting. Makes I mean, I'm not a farmer. I have no idea. But I would imagine in most species, you know, there are differences in the animals besides just their genitalia. But the Gemara says, fine. People will not be able to tell by a casual looking that it's male or female. So the Gemara says, Fine, if you're giving a sheep. What if you're giving a goat? You can give goat for a chatas or nola, and then there's no fat tail, and you could tell. There you're embarrassing yourself. He embarrassed himself. So he could have brought a sheep, and he brought a goat. So the Torah makes it possible for you to not have to publicize, you know, uh, what you're doing. You could, if you bring a sheep, nobody will know whether you're bringing a chatas or not. If you, for whatever reason, want to bring a goat, then that's, you did, you, you did it that for, you did that to yourself. Okay. Now the Gemara says, um, How about a chatas for a, for the sin of Avodah That is, can only be a goat. So that will be a sin that people will tell, you have no choice and you're being, and it's obvious that you have now done a sin because you're bringing a seer and people will see that you bring a, um, a, you know, a, um, a, a, a female animal. Um, so the people will know it was a chatos. Um, no, no, no. That's about Avodah Zarah. Avodah Zarah, you know what? A little extra embarrassment maybe is appropriate because you need something more to achieve atonement. Okay. So that was a fascinating discussion about, you know, about... Um, and um, and your own words, which very much fits with this whole discussion here about Bechol Lashon. All right, so now the Gemara says like this, um, Kriya Shema. Kriya Shema can be in any language. Minolan, how do you know this? Dechsev Shema Yisrael, hear, O Israel, Bechol Lashon Shomea. Here means whatever, however you understand it. Um, now, by the way, the Gemara here is quoting Psukim, and the simple sense of this word is absolutely that Kriya Shema, at least the first Pasuk, or the first paragraph, is Dehoraita, which is a lot of other Gemaras as well, but Tosos is long. Tosos here says, but you know, there are some Gemaras that sound like it's Drabanan, so there's actually not a good resolution or clear uh, position that emerges from the style of the Gemara, whether Kriya Shema is Dehoraisa or but this one certainly assumes it's Dehoraisa. Okay, Tano Rabbanan, Kriya Shema Kichsava. You have to read it exactly as it is written, Divrei Rebbe, that's what Rebbe says, so it cannot be in other languages. No, it can be in trans other languages. My time to Rebbe, what's reason of Rebbe? It says, these words shall be, you know, they should be on your heart. So they should be exactly as they were given, sort of like the Kacha before in the Mishnah. It has to be in the Hebrew, in the original. Okay, we're going to emphasize Shema here, that it's about understanding, and understanding means that it can be in any language. What do the rabbis do with Vehayu? Um, again, somehow assume that it has to be telling you something halachic and not just the meaning of the Pasuk itself. So what is that demanding? It has to be in the right order. You can't read Pesukim out of order. Okay? There has to be, you know, it has to follow, the the, the words have to, you know, ha, 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 
the sentences have to be, each sentence has to be in its own order and the sentences have to be in order relative to one another, but it does not, it's not, it doesn't have to be in Hebrew. Okay. Rebbe Shalik, where does Rebbe know that you can't, you, you, that, you, that, it's, that it's not good if you did it out of order? It says, these things, you could have just said, of course, that would be, mean something different. But anyway, the extra hey means it has to be exactly like this. It has to be in Hebrew and it has to be in this order. And they're not going to make a big deal about the extra, about the hey, and it's not even so extra. Okay, so therefore they emphasize Shema, any language, and Rebbe, Vahayu, that it can be, it has to be in Hebrew. Rebbe, Nami, Haksim, Shema, what does Rebbe do with Shema? That, let, let your ears hear what you, is coming out of your mouth. Like, you know, it's sort of like a phrase, like, do you hear, like, exactly what you are saying? Are you hearing what you're saying right now? Anyway, but what it technically means is, is that for it to count as speech, it has to be, you have to be able to hear it, okay? It's not like you say it so softly that it's inaudible. Um, and this is an interesting requirement in general about, about you know, when things require speech. Is it, does it have to be audible? Audible to you, audible to anybody, etc. But here by Shema, Rebbe is saying that that means that it has to be audible. Okay, and the rabbi says, no, I can hold that you actually are Yotze with it, you know, even if it, uh, 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 yeah, that even if you do not hear it, you are Yotze. So the, so the rabbis are lenient in both ways. They both say that it can be in other languages. That's what Shema tells you. And Shema also said, because it means other languages, it doesn't demand that it be audible. Um, so combining those two leniencies and Rebbe is strict in both, you could imagine ways in which you could have said, you know, if you emphasize a formal text like Rebbe, maybe hearing it isn't as important, you know, and, you know, because it's all about the, the formal text, whereas the rabbis that allow translations, maybe they should dafka demand hearing it. So it would be possible until this discusses some of those possibilities. Okay, let's just do a little bit more here to get the end of Shema and get to the larger theme about this idea of other languages. And um, so, Leima Kasava Rebbe Let's say that Rebbe holds that the entire Torah was said in all languages. Okay, now, what does this exactly mean? Well, for the simplest sort of explana- working explanation here, what it clearly means is that when there are things, this is sort of what the, the Tosus Shan says, when there are things that the Torah demands be recited, is the default to assume any language, or is the default to assume, you know, only Hebrew? When the Torah was given, in, you know, was said, meaning it was meaning that the sayings in the Torah were set were from the very outset assumed that could be said in all languages. Okay, so let's just read it like that. Is the default all languages or not? So call it the So presumably Rebbe you have to assume that Rebbe would say the normal default is all languages. The Isakadaita if the normal default for Rebbe is, is that we assume only Hebrew, why would he have to learn out from Vihayu that it has to be in Hebrew? That seems like the default is it could be any language. So it says, no, it's trich, mishum dechsiv shma. No, no, no. Because it says shma, which could have suggested, you know, maybe Rebbe holds the default is Hebrew, but since shma could have suggested other language, value is to tell you, no, 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 this is just like the normal rule. The normal rule is Hebrew. Okay? So it's interesting, right? That Rebbe says Hebrew, but he learned it from a Pasuk. Maybe if we should infer that the normal rule is any, is any language. And it says, no, 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 the normal rule could be Hebrew here for Rebbe too. But, you know, you still needed the Pasuk to emphasize that. And now we're going to say the reverse for the rabbis. Let's say the, the rabbis who say any language, maybe they say that the general rule is Hebrew. 
Um, because if they were to say that it could be in the, the general rule is any language, why would you need Shema to tell you that it can be in any language? That's the general rule. So the says, it's trich mishum No, it would still be needed because it says vayu. So meaning it could be that the rule is any language, but I need Shema to tell you that rule is true here as well, so you shouldn't be misled by the vayu to think that this is an exception to the rule. Okay, so the easiest way to understand Torah b'cholah shenem or not, right, is whether, as I said, it is when the Torah gives texts, is it assumed that, what is the rule? Is the rule any language or is the rule Hebrew? Now, clearly, you know, um, there is a, uh, it, it doesn't mean that all languages are equivalent. Uh, the very fact that when there's a limiting word, we sort of say only Hebrew, means even if the general rule is all languages, those still sort of fall into a category of translation. Um, and that, by the way, does fit very well with the idea of the Shibin Mashon Be'er Hetev, an explanation. So it's very powerful in the Mishnah, right, that Torah is given in Hebrew, but you cross the yard and the first thing you do is you write it in all different languages, which is like there's all available alternate languages to say things that need to be said. So, and that is, I think, a very powerful way to understand exactly what's going on in the Mishnah. Um, Rashi and Tosos speak about reading from the Sefer Torah. Maybe there are parshios that have to be read from the Torah, Sefer Torah, Parshat Zachar. Or maybe it just means whether Sefer Torah itself can be written in other languages, which we know is a debate. But it doesn't exactly sound that way. Whether Sefer Torah can be written in other languages, you know, is a question about a Sefer Torah and is whether it's written in other languages. This seems like it's saying something else, whether fundamentally the Torah allowed for alternate for, allowed for translations, which is suggested by the Mishnah, by the Be'er Hetev, uh, when they cross the Arnaid.